The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Member of this school, this team, or that team, and uh, man, I just watch the crowd. You know, that's there with them. They're in their living rooms, many of them. You know, with family, and they all jump up and down. And they, you know, one family went running out, and they just dove into the ocean all together. They splashed around together, and and uh, you know, these guys, they put on these like fancy suits and thousand dollar shoes and all these things, you know, I mean, you're just, you're just so excited for this. And we're singing this song a minute ago. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. We have more to celebrate on any given day, let alone any given Sunday, than any of those kids. Oh, I'm happy for them. I pray they do well. Uh, but man, have we got, I mean, I, I just think, I just think we ought to sometimes just lose ourselves in his grandeur. Amen? He is altogether glorious, and I'm so thankful to be called one of his children. Uh, I want to uh, just confess to you before I read our passage today, today is a, uh, is a political text now, I'm not going to go into political arenas where, you know, that I've, I've left the text and I'm, I'm speaking into issues and that sort of thing. But what I want to confess to you is I'm not naturally politically minded. Like, I listen to, to talk radio. Uh, you know, people get in, in my truck and it's typically on talk radio, so I kind of know some of the issues. But I, I have to work at that. Uh, you know, and, and so this is kind of out of my wheelhouse today, and so I just confess that to you, and, and it's a good thing sometimes because it means that I'm dependent on God to speak this morning. I, I'm, I'm just dependent on Him every week just to speak, but I, I'm very aware of my dependence this morning. Um, you know, if you turn on the, the radio and you listen to talk radio, you hear things, you know, like gas tax and build a wall and Korea and, and all these things, right? And, and all these issues that are kind of out there, and you hear Rush Limbaugh talk about them, and you turn on Fox News or this or that, or you read the blogs, and, and these, are, these are political issues. And sometimes we kind of come at those things, and, and we say, well, those really have nothing to do with us as believers. That's kind of the stuff of the world, and so I'll withdraw. At least that's kind of my tendency because I'm not naturally politically minded. But our text today has a lot to tell us about why we should be politically minded, politically engaged citizens of our own, our own nation here as well as uh, in heaven. And uh, I, I want to, before we just kind of look at our text today, I want to set the context for this. Paul, or Peter, is launching from verse 12. This is where I ended last week. He's launching from verse 12 in chapter 2, which says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That word also means beautiful. uh, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And we left off last week talking about how that day of visitation could be the final day when Jesus comes back. But more than likely, I think this is where I land, is that on the day when they're saved, on the day when the Spirit of God just breathes life, when that wind blows into their life and they come alive to the things of God, on that day when he visits them and they are gloriously saved. So we have this purpose here in our living 
And so Peter's going to launch off of that for the next few passages, the next three sermons out of First Peter. He's going to show us how that practically shows up. Uh, he's going to show us with particular examples of those good deeds. Today, in uh, verses 13 through 17, uh, how do we relate to the government? Uh, next week, in verses 18 through 25, how do we exercise these good deeds in faithfulness in our jobs? And then in the, the following week, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, in our marriages, in our, in our families, in our home lives. And so that's where we are today, you know, and, and I, I just want to walk through the text and be faithful to it. So if you will, follow along with me as I read uh, verse 13 of First Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Pray with me, and then we'll walk through this passage. Lord, I, I, I'm so dependent on you today. God, I pray that you would show us the truths of this passage. And Lord, for some of us, maybe these things are not something that we would just gravitate toward. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, Lord, that you might show us the beautiful truth that is here. And, and the beautiful calling that you have for us. Lord, may we today be set free to live as your servants. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things out of the text I want to show you today. The first is this. Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. Now, how does that sit with you? You know, you, you watch this, the talk shows. You, you listen to Rush Limbaugh and Bobby Mack and all these, you know, and we're called to submit to governing authorities? No, no, no. That's not what we want to hear. And the reality for us, the Bible doesn't tell us what we want to hear. The Bible really doesn't very often tell us what we want to hear. We would much rather hear about when it's okay for us to rebel against the government, right? We love those stories throughout Scripture, like where the Egyptian midwives, when Pharaoh told them to kill those baby boys, they disobeyed the Pharaoh or the king or the emperor uh, for fear of God. We, we love the stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Or Daniel, when Daniel refused to follow the legislation that prohibited prayer, and he went and he prayed as was his habit anyway. We love the stories in the New Testament where Peter and John refused to stop preaching when they were ordered to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and they were threatened with more prison time. And, and Peter and John, this Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, so they called them, the religious leaders called Peter and John together, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But listen to Peter and John's response. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
That fires us up, right? That's what we want to hear. Tell me, pastor, about how I can rebel against the government, how I don't have to obey in this area. That's what I want to hear. And that's the temptation of the preacher to go there. And it's the temptation of the listener to want to hear that. But the reality is that's not where our passage goes today. Those would be the reports that we would hear on Fox News or Rush Limbaugh or Word Radio, but that's not the focus of our passage. Peter doesn't qualify the command either. He simply says, be subject to every human institution. He doesn't qualify. He, he, he says that, be subject to every human institution. Keep in mind who he's writing to and what, they are, what the conditions are they're living in. You know who the emperor is? When he writes this letter to them, Nero. And while historians tell us that at this point in Christian history, the, the church is not yet persecuted to the point of martyrdom, but they are at the very least being shunned and, and ridiculed and, and cast as, as those who are off-putting. We don't like you. We don't like what you do. We don't like what you believe, what you stand for. And the culture is very much turning against them. And it would only be just a matter of a few short years before up the ante and it would move beyond simple ridicule to actual persecution in the form of martyrdom nero would take christians alive and he would sew them into animal skins and he would release wild dogs on them nero would take live christians and soak them in oil and light them on fire and use them to, as lanterns at his parties this is what it would cost to be a Christian. And when Peter writes this, he is writing to these Christians and saying to them, be subject to every human institution, whether the emperor as supreme or the governors who he sends. So he doesn't even qualify it. This is not what we would want to hear. And, and the reason I point this out to you today is because we must reject the temptation to leave off of what the Bible actually says to what we wish it did say. Submit. Be subject to. We, we have to reject this temptation to plow around a passage. We have to use the Bible not the way that a drunk uses a lamp post. If a, if, a, if a drunk person stumbles out of a bar, he will stumble out oftentimes and he will find a, a light pole and he will, he will hold himself up with a light pole, steady himself, and then stagger on down to the next light pole and hold himself and, and steady himself and move from light pole to light pole, using them to brace himself. But the reality is, light poles, lamp posts, were never meant to hold up drunk people. Lamp posts, light poles, were made for illumination. And we cannot be guilty of using the Bible the way a drunk person uses a light pole to support myself here, and then let me just move on to something else. Instead, we must say, God, shine your light. Show me your truth. Show me what's really here, Lord, because I need your word. We must take him at his word. We can't afford to blunt the edge of it. We must say all of what the Bible says. And here the Bible tells us to be subject to every governing authority. Now, there's some qualifiers here that we will look at. The passage does, and, and other, the Bible, the rest of the Bible gives us some things. I mean, we may not always agree with our political authorities, their policies, their morals, 
I mean, how many of us were in a dilemma this past November when it came to uh, time to vote at the polls? I mean, you looked at the two leading candidates and you, and you said, I don't know, you know. Um, I didn't vote for either one of them. I voted, but I didn't vote for either one of them. Um, so we, we may not always agree with our, our political authorities. And obviously the Bible, we're going to look at some passages that, that give room for uh, disobedience when our government asks us to go against God. Nevertheless, we, we're called, though, to submit, and that's the thrust of our passage today, to submit to these governing authorities. So let me just look at the passage and show you what it says. Now, we submit to governing authorities, verse 13 says, for the Lord's sake. And I'm so thankful that's there. Because it better be rooted in some sort of a higher purpose like that. Because if, if left to me, if left to my own willpower, I don't know that I'm always going to want to submit to authority. Raise your hand if you struggle sometimes with authority. Everybody ought to have their hand raised, right? Whether it's the child at home, clean your room. I don't want to, right? Or whether it, the police officer pulls you over and you say, where was that sign? I didn't see that sign, you know. We struggle with authority. We better have something like this for the Lord's sake. This, uh, my, my, my kids, uh, Abby and Micaiah, are, uh, they've got jobs and they're working. And uh, uh, the other day, uh, one of my kids, won't name which one, let you guess, uh, but uh, got the paycheck, brought the paycheck home, tore off the little ends, tore off the thing at the top, opened that thing up, and said, where's the rest of my money? Right? Somebody's got my money. It's not always easy to submit to authority, right? For the Lord's sake, we submit. Verse 15 says, we submit to governing authorities to be in God's will. Verse 15 specifically tells us, in case we're wondering, for this is the will of God. We know it's the will of God because not only does the Bible tell us this, but we look back at the example of Jesus, which Peter puts forward in verse 21 of our passage of this chapter. And he says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We submit to governing authorities to be in God's will. Verse 16 tells us, we submit to governing authorities to live as servants of God. David Helm wrote one of the commentaries that I read in preparation for this sermon, and David Helm said on this issue of living as servants of God, we are not operating out of some blind adherence to a rigid principle, but rather out of love for the one with whom we have a relationship. At the end of the day, Christians willingly submit themselves to people in authority because we desire our lives to be pleasing to someone, not something. We live as servants of God. This is why we can submit to governing authorities because we're living submitted to the one who is over them all. We are called to submit to these governing authorities. So let me just give you the, where we're going to go from here. How do we do that? In a day and age where the culture around us and influencing government, the government seems to be growing more and more hostile toward Christianity, 
How do we live in these days where we will submit to these governing authorities? Well, two things. Number one is, this is actually number two in your, your outline, God grants governments limited authority. It's important for us to understand that governments don't just have this blank check that they can say, do this, and we just jump. They have been given by God limited authority. Verses 13 and 14, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. They've been given this limited authority. God here in the Bible, elsewhere in the Bible, God does not endorse any certain type uh, or system of government, over, one over the other. He doesn't endorse a monarchy or a theocracy or a democracy or an oligarchy. This is not God saying, this is the right system of government, and if you're in this, then you can submit. God here is not saying. He's saying to these that are readers of Peter's letter, submit to the emperor and the governors that he sends. For us, that's, that, that was who it was for them. For us, as citizens of the U.S., we have a president of the United States, we have senators, we have congressmen, congresswomen, we have judges, we have governors, we have mayors, we have representatives, we have police officers, etc., etc., etc. These are those that God says, I'm, I'm giving them as authority over you to represent me in this way, limited authority. One of the passages that this text has to be built off of, it has to go hand in hand with, is Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 1, Paul very much agrees with Peter. They are not in um, opposition to one another. In verse 1 of Romans 13, Paul said, Let every person be subject to the governing authority. Sounds very, very similar. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So what this means is that while in November, when it came time to go to the polls, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, now that Donald Trump has been elected, he's my president. I will refer to him as Mr. President. I will respect the office because Romans 13.1 tells me that there is no authority except from God. So if he's in the office, then he's there by God's appointment. If Hillary Clinton would have been voted in, it would have been no different. God gives not only this, he doesn't endorse one system over the other. He gives this people into authority over us. But he gives them two basic responsibilities. Government has these two basic responsibilities. And I think this is where people get kind of agitated with government. is because government oftentimes wants to step outside of these two basic responsibilities. They're listed for us in the text. One is to punish those who do evil. The other is to praise those who do good. This is the basic God-given responsibilities of governing authorities. Romans chapter 12, when we talk about to punish those who do evil, we go, I mean, Romans 13, we go back to that passage, and in verses 2 through 4, Paul there says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good. You will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, 
For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is God saying, I will set up ruling authorities who will punish those who do evil. He's given the power of the sword to the state. Jesus affirmed this. Remember in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus and and, uh, Peter always, remember this is St. Peter, same one who's now saying, saying, be subject to every governing authority, every human institution, whether the emperor or the governor who he sends, right? <laughs> Boy, how far God brought Peter. Now, Peter, rewind, back in the garden, they come to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? Draws the sword. Cuts off Malchus' ear, right? Jesus said to Peter in the garden, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. What Jesus is saying, he's affirming that this, the power of the sword has been given to these governing authorities. Peter, it's not your place to take vigilante justice into your hands. You take that up and you will rightly face the sword of the government. You'll die by that sword. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that government has been given to help punish those who do evil. And this threat of such punishment often restrains evil. And let me illustrate this. You're driving down the road. You see even, I mean, it's just a car. It just resembles a police car. What do you do? Y'all sit there like all smug, holy, righteous, right? Don't you let off the gas at the very least? And maybe if you drive a speed limit all the time, you're just used to it. You just go. But for most of us, it's you at least let off the speed limit, right? Sometimes you break. I've been in the car with my kids before, and my, cars, my, my kids have been trained. They look for them. Dad, there's a, there's a cop up there. <laughs> Why would my kids need to say that? Right? This threat of punishment often restrains evil. Let me give you another illustration. When I was in high school, I uh, grew up in Sevierville, Pigeon Forge area, and I worked at, uh, in a high school at the, uh, the Bell's Outlet Mall. Anybody remember that? Behind the track up in Pigeon Forge. I worked at a housewares store. We sold all sorts of kitchen gadgets and all that kind of stuff. I hated that job, but it was a paycheck, right? And in that job, in that mall, we had a security camera on the wall. And it was this nice, old, would be so out of date now, video camera, surveillance camera mounted on the wall there. And it had this cable that ran off the back of it and into the wall. And it had this little red light that was on all the time on this camera. The funny thing was, if you went over to that camera and you took a hold of that cable and pulled that cable, you could pull it out of the wall because it was attached to nothing behind the wall. It had a 9-volt battery that plugged in to that little bitty red light to make someone think that they're being watched. One of my favorite shows is Everybody Loves Raymond. Anybody watch Everybody Loves Raymond? I, I like that show. Robert Barone on the show, one day he's a police officer. He decides he's going to supplement his income, and he decides he's going to sell security systems. And he comes over, and he's trying to sell one to Ray, his brother. Everybody loves Raymond, right? He's trying to sell one to Raymond. And he's going on and on about how, you know, when people, when people come by and they see this sign, the sign of my company in your yard, they, if they intend any kind of evil, they will move on. To which Raymond said, that's wonderful. How much for that sign, right? 
See, even the threat of punishment, even the, the mere suggestion of punishment oftentimes restrains evil and doesn't take us very long to see that these, the, the purpose of government to restrain and to punish evil is a gift from God. See, the reality is that even in a, even in a, in a place where the government is wicked, it's better than no government at all because... Evil is restrained even under that regime to some degree. We thank God for our governing authority because they restrain and they punish evil. If governmental authority is nothing but a sign in the yard or a camera not recording, then it won't take long for people to ignore the government. But Jesus here, Peter tells us that the governing authorities have the full weight of the sword. It's not an authority without power. Even though our criminal justice system isn't perfect, we should be thankful for this aspect of our government, that they punish evil and help to restrain evil. Secondly, this limited authority of our government, they praise those who do good. Which I would simply ask you, do governments really praise those who do good? You ever been pulled over by a police officer just to tell you how well you were obeying the traffic laws? That will probably never happen to you. Most of the time you see the blue lights and it's for another reason. So do they really praise those who are doing good? More than likely what Peter is meaning here and what Paul means also is that the governing authorities promote the public good. Romans 13, back to that passage, verses 3 through 4, he says, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Verse 6 of Romans 13 says that because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of and for God. So they look out for this public good. This is the limited responsibility that God has given to government. And insofar as they administer that authority, then we should be subject. We should should subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Third in our sermon today is this. Not only does God grant limited authority to these governing authorities, he also grants Christians gospel responsibility. And this is where I want you to hear the sermon. It's very easy for me to stand up here and say, we subject ourselves to them because they're a gift from God, and here's how. But when it comes to the rubber meeting the road of us seeing how we react to governing authorities with gospel intentionality, this is very different. God has given Christians this gospel responsibility. We've seen the responsibilities of the government are two. The gospel is not one of them. The gospel belongs to the church. There are two aspects in our passage of this responsibility. One is to silence critics, to live in such a way. Verse 15 says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You ever known a Christian that lived in such a way that they gave material to the ignorance of foolish people? We're being warned not to live that way. Do you know that the early Christians were accused of cannibalism? This is one of the things, one of the rumors that was spread about them. They were slandered in this way. They, those Christians, they, they eat the flesh of people. Now, why would they say that? Because Jesus said, 
Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And we know that Jesus here is talking about following him. And when the early Christians would meet together and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together, when they would take communion together, the outside watching world who had not been to any of those gatherings saw that and looked at that and they made the assumption they're eating flesh, they're drinking blood, they're cannibals. That's foolish. That's ignorant. We know that's not what was going on. They are simply here following the example of Jesus and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. It wasn't true. Now, how do they set the record right? By living in such a way that their good deeds, their good deeds would silence those ignorant statements. Their submission to governing authorities and in their jobs and in their marriages would set the record straight. The word silence here is a word that means to restrain, to muzzle, to make speechless. It's the same word used to describe often what Jesus did to the religious leaders. I was thinking about this and this word, even though the word's not used here, other places it is talking about Jesus silencing the religious leaders. Do you remember in John 8, I think it is, where... um, uh, where Jesus is there and they, they bring the woman caught in adultery before him. And this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we stone her. What do you say, Jesus? What does Jesus do? He kneels down. He draws in the, in, the dirt, in the dust. And he says to them, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. He kneels back down and he begins to draw in the dust again. And the Bible tells us that one by one, these that were so ready, so adamant, To stone this woman, dropped their stones and walked away. They had nothing left to say. And this is what Jesus is telling us. Peter here is telling us that when we live in such a way as servants of God, submitted for the sake of the Lord, that it silences critics. This is what Jesus not only did with the religious leaders, he did this with evil spirits. Mark chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Man comes, he's he's demon-possessed. The demons speak out to Jesus and say, What have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. This is what our submission, our good deeds do. It's what Jesus did to creation. Remember the disciples, they were in the boat and there was a terrible storm raging and Jesus was asleep. They're fearing for their lives. They think they're about to die. And they wake Jesus up and say, don't you even care? And what does Jesus do? He stands and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, shh, be still. And it obeys his command. This is the same thing that Peter here is telling us that our good deeds will do. When Jesus said, and this is off my notes, but when Jesus said, I must go away, and if I go away, there's going to come one who's going to be greater than I am, and you're going to do greater things than I've done. He's talking about the Spirit coming and indwelling. This is one of the things that he's talking about. We look at it and we say, submission to the government is greater than what Jesus did? When it has gospel intentionality, it is. When you and I can look at the authorities that have been placed over us and live in submission to them because we are servants of God, 
It silences those critics. Some critics will persist. You know this. Not every critic will be hushed like the wind and the waves or the demon or the religious leaders. Some critics will persist even though our lives are silencing them. The reason they will persist is because this word ignorance, this foolish ignorance, you will silence this foolish ignorance, this word is not just a lack of knowledge, it is a willful, hostile rejection of the truth. You and I know that there will be some people that even though, even though we live these God-submitted lives that translated into us submitting to the authorities that he's placed over us, they just have it out for us. They just don't like the gospel. They just don't like the truth. And they will reject. And they will persist. Just as the religious leaders kept trying to trap Jesus, they will continue to persist in trying to see us reach demise, demise, demise as well. As well. well. But one aspect of this gospel responsibility of the church as we submit to government is that we silence critics. We should not live in such a way that, that gives material to the critics. Instead, we live in such a way that they say, you know what, I don't like what they say, I don't like what they believe, I don't like what they stand for, but I can't argue that they're a good citizen. I mean, they're, they're a good neighbor. That has gospel intentionality and gospel um, clout. Secondly, to, uh, the other, other aspect of gospel responsibility is that it shows our true allegiance. It shows our true allegiance in verse 16. He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What this means for us is that when we talk about this issue of submitting to government... It does not mean that we submit to government as our master. Because we have one master. He's the Lord, right? We have been set free. This, we, we only have this one master because we are exiles. We're living in a foreign country that is not really our home, right? We've been made free. There's a dangerous temptation that flows from that truth, though, that we are free and we only have one master, and President Trump is not our master, and Governor Henry McMaster is not our master. That just worked out. Um, That wouldn't have been so good a few months ago. But anyway, um, this, this temptation is that since I'm free, I don't have to obey any of the laws because the government is not my master. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. That's the temptation, and it is a deadly one. If we divorce the gospel from this this submission to the government, then that's where we'll go. If we're not concerned for our neighbor, if we're not concerned for our fellow citizen that does not know the Lord in the way that we know him, if they have not been set free and that doesn't concern us at all, then we will approach the government and approach the laws of this land and say, what have they got to do with me? I'm free. I don't have to do anything. God's my king. We combat that temptation by using our freedom to live as servants of God. John Piper talked about this. Help me to understand this. He he points out that in this passage, in verses 13 through 17, that they be subject to every human institution. 
and the live as people who are free, that they create tension without contradiction. Those two things, submit and live as free, those two things don't naturally go together, do they? There's this tension here. How do we submit and live like we're free? How, how does that happen? I mean, I'm going to call my own shots. But you want me to say that tension without contradiction. People who are free, this is what it means. People who are free in Christ are free to submit for a different reason than those who aren't free. Let me just give you an illustration of this. Do you obey the speed limit? Should you obey the speed limit? Yeah, maybe that's the better question, right? Obeying the speed limit because of the South Carolina State Trooper isn't worship, is it? When I see a police car and I slow down, that's not worship. That's not finding my ultimate treasure in God alone. I'm not free in that moment. I'm living under tyranny, right? I'm in bondage. Likewise, if I don't obey the speed limit, am I free? No, I'm not free. In that moment, I'm, I'm held captive to my own desires. I want to get there. These people are in my way, right? That's not worship either. But obeying the speed limit as a servant of God is worship. John Piper gives the illustration. Only John Piper can, but I'll just convey it to you. Speed limit out here is 45. When you are free in the Lord and you live as his servant, you can set your cruise control on 45. And not worry. I'll get there when I get there, right? But when you're not free in Christ, when you're in bondage to your own passions or when you're in fear of the state, you cheat that thing. We live as free people, as servants of God. Being free in Christ makes all the difference. We silence those critics and we show our true allegiance. We, we don't say, oh, the state trooper is my authority. We say, God's my ultimate authority and therefore I will willingly, gladly submit to those that he's placed over me. Well, how do we silence the critics that... It, and show our true allegiance, and I won't take time to, to walk through these because we're almost out of time. But 17 gives us this reality. It gives us the way that this works itself out. How do we show our true allegiance? How do we silence our critics? We honor everyone. We, we don't look at anyone and say, you're not worthy of honor. We don't look at skin color or age or physical ability or mental ability or anything else and assign worth or value to people. We honor everyone. The Bible tells us that we were knit together in our mother's womb. Regardless, if our mother was a drug addict and never known your father or whatever, you're knit together in your mother's womb. If you've been raised under gospel teaching all your life by two parents who have committed themselves together, your grandparents are together, and all this, you come from this wholesome background, you're knit together in your mother's womb. Every person. 
made in the image of Christ to reflect the glory of God. Honor everyone. Don't look down on someone thinking that you are better than them. Honor everyone. He says, love the brotherhood. Jesus said, they'll know you by your love for one another. You know, as the culture grows worse and worse, more and more hostile toward Christianity, the brotherhood better become sweeter to us. Church membership better come to mean more, not less. Right? We better find this times when we're together to be sweet, to lean on one another, to carry one another's burdens, to rejoice when others rejoice, and to weep when others weep. We better love the brotherhood. And then he says, fear God. It's interesting that he starts with honor, ends with honor. He says, honor everyone, honor the emperor, but he says, fear God. His point is that only God deserves to be feared. We talked a few weeks ago about this fear that it it really means fear, but it's a fear that works itself out and looks more like trust than anything. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what you're up against, what you're facing, how overnight your life has changed, you trust the Lord. God, I fear you. I don't fear the emperor. I fear you, God. This is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to go into that fiery furnace and how Daniel was able to go into the lion's den and how those apostles were able to go all the way to their deaths and martyrdom because they said, I will not fear the emperor, I will fear God. I will honor the emperor, but I fear God. Then he ends and he says, honor the emperor, which means submission to God-assigned authority becomes a powerful apologetic for the gospel. Remember that the context is is evangelism. Verse 12, keep your conduct honorable before the Gentiles so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's, It's evangelism. We live for the sake of others coming to know God as their ultimate joy, that he would set them free, that when we sing together, no more condemnation. That the same joy that wells up in me would well up in the person who's far from God at this moment because they've come to know him as Lord and Savior. We live for that. And that's why, that's why we live in subjection to these human institutions. I want to give you just a particular, very specific form of application today. Probably there are other things. God's spoken to you. I'm not putting God in a box If God leads you to a particular response, then by all means, do that. But here's how I'm going to invite us as a congregation to respond. Ethan's going to come, and he's going to play in just a few minutes softly. What I'd like for us to do is I'd like for you to gather with four or five, six people around you and pray for our government, to pray for our governing authorities. Now, this may be odd. This may be strange. I thought we were supposed to be able to come in and just sit down and not have to really interact with one another. Well, let's be the body. Let's love the brotherhood. And let's pray for our governing authorities. Let's pray that God would, would give them the, the wisdom and, and the strength and the energy to carry out their jobs. 
that they would, they would punish those who do evil and they would promote the common good of society and they would do it well. Let's spend some time thanking God for them. When's the last time you prayed and thanked God for government? <laughs> you know, probably been a long time. Thank God for them. Pray that God would work in our hearts, in the hearts of the citizens of our counties and of our state and of our country, and that he would draw them into glad submission to him so that they live as servants of God who gladly and willingly submit to the governing authorities. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place? Let's spend some time praying for those things. Let me pray. And then as the Lord leads, just move and and get in groups and and pray for those things. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that uh, one of those gifts that we probably neglect is the gift of governing authorities. Lord, that even in the everyday outworkings of our lives, that you have been generous to us in placing authority representing you over our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to see them as what they are, help us to be willing to pray for them, to submit ourselves to them, that when they ask us, Lord, to to disobey you, Lord, that we would be willing to fear you more than them and we would pay the consequence that we we cannot leave off, whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God, that they'll have to judge, but Lord, help us to live in fear of you and in submission to the authorities you've placed over us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Lord leads, you move around, pray together, and then we'll close out in just a little bit. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.